You are listening to Sunday Gospel Reflections, a podcast made possible through the work of the Institute of Catholic Culture. I'm Father Hezekiah Carnazzo, founder and executive director of the Institute and your host for this program. In this podcast, we'll explore the historical and literary context, themes, and significance of the readings for the coming Sunday. This podcast was originally recorded as a video. For the full viewing experience, please visit us at instituteofcatholicculture.org. Blessed is our God at all times, both now and ever, and unto ages of ages. Amen. O Lord Jesus Christ, you who are the good shepherd, the shepherd of our souls, we pray that you will surround us with your holy angels and keep away the dreadful sight of the demons, the wolves, especially those dressed in sheep's clothing, that we might remain safely within your flock and be led through the door of life to glorify you for all eternity. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, both now and ever and unto ages of ages. Amen. Christ is risen. Indeed, he is risen. It's a uh, fourth Sunday of Easter here. That's obviously for my opening prayer. It is called the Sunday of the Good Shepherd, which is, we look at this every year, don't we, Annie, from the different gospels, right? We're in the gospel of John this year with the Good Shepherd. Yeah, absolutely. So the fourth Sunday of Easter, usually we call it Good Shepherd Sunday every year. So we get a part of the, the parable of the Good Shepherd. But in here in John, Jesus leaves things a little bit more vague am i right yeah (laughs) it's a little more vague and for good reason but let's jump in here where we got john chapter 10 give us our passages here annie yeah so we'll um start with john chapter 10 verses 1 through 10 the psalm fittingly enough psalm 23 the lord is my shepherd the uh the first reading will be from acts of the apostles chapter 2 We have the setup verse of uh, verse 14 once again, and then we will read verses 36 through 41. And then the epistle is the first letter of St. Peter, chapter 2, verses 20 through 25. Mm -hmm. So we shall start with the gospel once again, I believe, Father. Yep. We're going to start here at John chapter 10, verse 1. John By the way, I want to say thank you to those that take time to write us a little thank you note for these gospel reflections. You know, I got to be honest, I'm not a biblical scholar as such. You know, I don't have like my brother's got his PhD in scripture and things like that. And But I do think what we are able to accomplish here is important, which is maybe something in between two ends of the spectrum. And that is, you know, deep, deep, deep exegesis of the text, like maybe Dr. Bergsma or Father Sebastian might do with us. On the other hand, a homily we might get on Sunday, our goal here is to kind of prepare ourselves for the homily. And to do that, to get the general picture, get, you know what we're doing right now? We're doing what Monsignor Pope says we need to do, and that is getting warmed up to the temperature of glory. We're getting, we're doing our our biblical calisthenics in preparation for the coming Sunday. And I hope that is helpful to all you. But I, we've recently received a number of people that said how much they enjoyed, especially when we did our our little bit of musical interludes during the the end of Lent and things that are so nice. Anyways, we do enjoy doing this every Sunday. It is, I hope, helpful to all of you. But Annie, let's let's jump in. Yeah. All right. John chapter 10. Jesus said, Amen, amen, I say to you, whoever does not enter a sheepfold through the gate, but climbs over elsewhere, is a thief and a robber. 
but whoever enters through the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The gatekeeper opens it for him, and the sheep hear his voice, as the shepherd calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has driven out all his own, he walks ahead of them, and the sheep follow him, because they recognize his voice. But they will not follow a stranger. They will run away from him, because they do not recognize the voice of strangers. Although Jesus used this figure of speech, the Pharisees did not realize what he was trying to tell them. So Jesus said again, Amen, amen, I say to you, I am the gate for the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved and will come in and go out and find pasture. A thief comes only to steal and slaughter and destroy. I came so that they might have life and have it more abundantly. All right, so let's get our context first here. What is going on in the Gospel of John when when he's talking to yeah. the Pharisees this about is the, shepherds? This is the name of the game for this Gospel. And then we always say that. A text without a context, no text at all. But it, this is the one that's the name of the game. And, and anybody that really wants to jump into a deep dive in the Gospel of John, I did an, a ridiculous Bible study a number of years ago at the ICC. And we spent like an inordinate amount of time just in the first like 10 chapters nice. of the Gospel of John. We never finished the study because it just took too long. Okay, <laughs> Those were the early days of the ICC. If you want to go do that, I, you know, you might want to look up my gospel of John Bible study, but suffice it to say for now, we need to get a little context here of the environment in which Jesus is teaching. Okay. And it, you know, you already know this environment because we've gone over it so many times, but I, it's important here to realize the, 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 just the divisions which have taken place. And those divisions begin early, early on in the gospel of those that see Jesus's miracles and they they begin to say, well, this there's something special about this guy, right? He's a prophet. He's a teacher. He's whatever. They see the man, but they're unable to see God in the man. And in, in the Gospel of John, this division is important because Jesus is doing miracles for a reason, right? He's not just a traveling magic man, which... You know, if you just read it from the outside, it kind of looks like Jesus walking on water and he's multiplying loaves and fishes and he's healing people. It's like, wow, you know, this guy's really kind of kind of got the circus act going, right? But no, he's doing miracles. Why? So that people can come to faith. Faith is the fully entrusting of ourselves to the other so that he can show us and tell us things that we would not otherwise receive, okay? He has to get us to that point where we say, you know what? I'm going to, no matter what he says, I'm going to follow him, right? Mm -hmm. Because he's about, he's, he's going he's gonna to tell us we're going to eat his flesh and drink his blood. It's crazy talk. I mean, you have to let, allow the gospel to hit you with that one. Like, really? The Eucharist is a jarring doctrine. And yes, as Catholics, we, we love the Eucharist. We, but let those words sink in. Unless you drink my blood, unless you eat my flesh, you can't, you'll have no life in you. I mean, this is, sounds like the, the talk of a crazy man. Well, up to the gospel of John chapter six, 
He's been doing all of these miracles, and he's going to do more after that, but he's been doing all these miracles to bring these people to faith in him so that he can go ahead and tell them ultimately what he's going to do, right? Yeah. Um, but unfortunately, they're una- many are unable to graduate to faith. And not only are they unable to graduate to faith, but there's going to be a, a, a further division now that's going to happen. There's going to be a division between those who see the miracle and they they see they see him as the miracle worker, but they're unable to come to, to the faith in, in the divine person who's acting. There's those that do, right? There's the apostles that come to faith in Christ and uh and, and see him for who he is. But then as the gospel develops, there begins to be even a third division of those who are unable. They're not only unable to know really who he is on a on a supernatural level, they're unable to know who he is on a natural level. They expose yeah. themselves for being blind themselves. We talked about that last week with the Sunday, the blind man. And you get this here in the Gospel of John in multiple places, but I'll just point out a few of them to you that I think might be helpful. Look at John chapter 6 verse 41 because by this time in the gospel of john i mean things ramp up so fast in the gospel the gospel of john's kind of yes it ramps up and then it's a nosedive to the cross the whole yeah. most of that gospel is a nosedive jesus is doing miracles along the way but the, the gospel of john does this kind of this this fast build up and then a and then a straight downward slope to the cross right so he hits it hard the pharisees hate him they want to kill him and it goes to the cross it's just like it's like that along the way according to these miracles but by john chapter 6 i mean you're either in or you're out right you're either you're either the, the guy's he's 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 sorry talking about jesus the guy but so much has happened that that either you've come to faith or you haven't and so look at what happens in john chapter 6 verse 41 the jews then murmured at him because he said, I am the bread which came down from heaven. And they said to him, is not this Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How does he now say I've come down from heaven? Right? So they're they're struggling with where what his origins are, right? And of course, either the same guys back in John chapter 4, verse, sorry, chapter 3, verse 1 and following with Nicodemus, it says, we know who you are, right? Mm-hmm. Rabbi, we know that you're a teacher come from God right so they come very strong we know who you are now they're like but right mm-hmm. what, what, what what does he say is coming down from heaven what's this all about right and then the thing continues to develop in the gospel look at look at uh chapter 7 verse 40 when they had heard these things some of the people said this is really the prophet others said this is the christ the messiah right but some said, is the Christ to come from Galilee? Has not the scripture said that Christ is descended from David and comes from Bethlehem? So now they don't even know his earthly birthplace, right? So there's, do you see this, this, this the division that happens right here, this threefold division that goes on, right? As they expose themselves for who they are, well, they're all kind of taught. We talked about that conversation going on behind this scene. Take a look back with me again at, um, at uh, chapter five, verse 18 chapter 5 verse 18 this is why the jews sought all the more to kill him Mm. so do you see they're already seeking to kill him they're already seeking his death and so the whole conversation is going on by chapter 7 8 9 things get very hot things are are very tense right they're seeking to to kill him and jesus knows that and he he call he recalls for them what happened in chapter 5 when he heals the paralytic take a look in chapter 7 verse 19 
chapter 7 verse 9 did moses not give you the law yet none of you keeps the law why do you seek to kill me so this is great because they he knows that they're they're seeking to kill him and they're not keeping the law why because they're trying to kill him rather than try him for being Mm -hmm. whatever they're gonna try him for right making himself equal to god okay now look what he does in verse 20 the people answered you have a demon who is seeking to kill you, right? Because he already knows the conversation. And Jesus answered them, "Did one? I did one deed. You marvel at it. Well, what's that one deed? Moses gave you circumcision, not that it was Moses, but from the fathers. And you could circumcise a man on the Sabbath. If on the Sabbath a man receives circumcision so that the law of Moses may not be broken, are you angry because on me, on, on the Sabbath, I made a man's whole body well? He's talking about yeah. chapter 5. On yeah. the Sabbath day, he heals the paralytic, right? Now he's going to also heal the blind man. He's going to encounter the, the, the woman caught in adultery. And things are going to get extremely intense because these things continually happen on the Sabbath day. They're getting more and more angry at what's going on. And they begin. Now, here's, here's where the thing really turns is with the healing of the blind man. because And we've, we've looked at this already. But take a look at, at chapter 9, verse 33. Jesus already made the point. The Sabbath is is for the Sabbath is for loving, loving, right? Which is the pouring out of my life to the other, which is about rather bringing healing. Jesus is doing on the Sabbath what 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 his father does, which is bless. Right in the Sabbath day of 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 Genesis, he blesses it, which is to pour out his life upon creation. This is what Jesus is doing. So in chapter nine, verse thirty three, is the blind man. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. That's what the blind man says. They answered him, you were born in utter sin. And would you teach us? And they cast him out. Now, this is critically important. They're trying, they're trying the adulterous woman. Well, first of all, they're trying to kill Jesus without a, without a, a trial. They're trying the, or they're not trying, they're trying to kill the adulterous woman or the one woman without a trial. Right. And then they take the blind man and rather than bringing healing to him and rejoice in the gift of God, they throw him out of the temple. So they show themselves not as, as, as sheep keepers, as shepherds, right? But they show themselves as the ones that are actually damaging the sheep. They're attacking them. And this is when Jesus, Jesus goes, he, he, his, his head blows off. Okay. Kind of like Father Hezekiah. And he just, he just turns and he just, bam. And you know what that bam is? It's the good shepherd. So when you think, oh, it's nice, Jesus risen from the dead, we're going to have Good Shepherd Sunday, my brothers and sisters, good in this sense is Jesus putting the knife in the heart of the evil one. The story of the Good Shepherd is the most in-your-face fight, the, the biggest claim Jesus makes, and the most aggressive attack he makes at the Pharisees. And that's not what you normally think about the good shepherd, right? But it is if you know the Old Testament text, because Jesus is surrounded by wolves. Hmm. And now he's going to call them wolves to their face. And that's this gospel text. Annie, okay, I know you want to jump in. Go ahead. And then well, I we let's go get in. Well, I just want to get into that. Yes. So it says that he was what they didn't understand what he was trying to say to them. Well, what, yeah. what didn't they understand? Yeah, well, first of all, they have no sense of self-reflection. But <laughs> notice understanding. Again, we did, we talked about this last like five minutes, right? Ten minutes. They they think they know who he is, right? They're going to judge him. That's their biggest problem in, back in in, Gen, in in with Nicodemus, right? In in John chapter three, 
we know who you are, right? I'm going to judge God and I'm going to define him based upon my own preconceived notions. When in fact, no one can do this. And this is why John sets up in his gospel in the prologue. He says in the prologue, chapter one, verse one and following, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him and without him was made nothing that was made. In him was life and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness could not overcome or comprehend is actually the, the, the proper translation of the Greek word. Could, could not comprehend. To comprehend is to, to, to fully understand, right? The darkness could not do this. And where, how do the Pharisees come to Jesus in chapter three? How does Nicodemus come to him? In darkness. In the darkness of the night. Exactly. And this is the fundamental problem. They will not come and remain with Jesus. They will constantly be attacking him and trying to comprehend him on their own rather than allowing God's knowledge and God's way of life to impact who they are. Yeah. And so even as Jesus is telling this parable, they're struggling, but, but, but I will say struggling to a certain extent because they knew, they knew what he's, what he's calling them out as. And they, they knew because look at how, look at how explicit he gets in the previous chapter, chapter nine, verse 35. See, they fully turned against him. They fully turn against him, right? This is the blame man says, This man was not from God, he could do nothing. And then they, you were born in utter sin. So they hate the idea that Jesus could be good. They hate the idea that he could be a prophet. They hate the idea that he's come to do anything for them. So look at verse 35. Jesus heard that they had cast him out. Having found him, he said, Do you believe in the Son of Man? He answered, And who is he, sir, that I may believe in him? And Jesus says, You have seen him, and it is he who speaks to you. And he said, Lord, I believe. And he worshiped, and, and Jesus, Jesus said, For judgment I came into the world that those who do not see may see, and those who see may become blind. So that's a fundamental root of their inability to grasp even what Jesus is saying here in chapter 10. But certainly, it's clear what he's saying. And what he's doing is making a reference to the Old Testament. So let's go back to two fundamental passages that are going to help us out. The first is the prophecy of Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 40, which is that famous passage in Isaiah that normally we turn to at that turning point in Isaiah. When he begins looking forward to the restoration of Israel and the coming of the Messiah. And look at this. Verse, we'll go chapter 40, verse 9, just to get a little bit of context. Get you up to a high mountain, O Sion, herald of good tidings. Lift up your voice with strength, O Jerusalem, herald of good tidings. Lift it up, fear not. Say to the city of Judah, behold your God. Behold, the Lord God comes with might, and his arm rules with him. Behold, his reward is with him, and his recompense before him. He will feed his flock like a shepherd. So who is the shepherd of God's people? It's God. Yes. Well, who else is supposed to be the shepherd of God's people is David, right? And we're going to look at this in the Psalm as David, the Messiah, right? The anointed one, the King of Israel is supposed to also be a shepherd, but always in the image and likeness of the, of, of the divine shepherd. Right. right. Um, and so they're, they're, they're debating whether this guy's the Messiah or not, or some are debating it. Right. And he makes a twofold claim at this moment. 
that he is both divine, and as we're going to see, both divine and man. And to see that, we need to turn to Ezekiel chapter 34, which is our key text. And you have to write Ezekiel 34 into your Bibles in John chapter 10, so that when you read this passage, you always go back and read this. And we're going to spend some time here, okay? We're going to spend some time, and we're going to read through a good chunk of this chapter together, because this is the chapter, no doubt, that Jesus is referring to when he talks about the good shepherd. Yes. Okay. Genesis, or sorry, Ezekiel chapter 34. You with me, Annie? You got it there? I am here. Ezekiel 34. The word of the Lord came to me, son of man. Prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Now, why? Why in Ezekiel do we to prophesy against the shepherds of Israel? When's Ezekiel writing? Pre-exile. Yeah. And what's going on in Israel? Well, the kings are a disaster. Disaster. The, 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 the rulers of the Jews, disaster. They got idols set up on, a Mount, on Mount of Olives. They're worshiping false idols. They got idols set up in the temple. Total disaster. And what's what, 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 in addition to that, let's talk about an economic aspect of the disaster, Annie. Oh yeah, they're what is enslaving it? their brothers. They're enslaving their brothers. Exactly. The rich in terms of modern, the modern, you know, the rich are getting richer, the poor are getting poorer, right? No, but, really, <laughs> but it's true. Yeah. They are they are they are ruling God's people within with a, with as, as slave masters. They are acting as Pharaoh. Yeah, and we've looked at that many times in the past. We don't have to go back and look at that, but it's ultimately this is the the straw that breaks the camel's back during the time of Ezekiel and the other prophets that causes the Babylonian exile is that they enslaved their brother. Well, if you want to enslave your brother, fine, go into slavery. Happens over and over in, in the in the Old Testament, right? You can't live in the house of the of the God who gives us freedom if you're going to not live in his image and after his likeness, but rather in the image and likeness of the evil one. If you're going to do that, you go live with the evil one in Babylon, right? In, in Egypt. But if you want to live with God, you want to live in Jerusalem, you got to, you have to act toward your brother as God has acted towards you, right? Mm -hmm. But that's not what's going on. So the rulers are now identified as shepherds. So now we got to think about Jesus talking about, right? And, the, and, and, okay. But now he's going to take it further. The word of the Lord came to me. Son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say to them, even to the shepherds, thus says the Lord God, ho, the shepherds of Israel who have been feeding yourselves. Who are they feeding themselves on? The sheep. Should not shepherds feed the sheep? You eat the fat and you clothe yourselves with the wool. You slaughter the fatlings, but you do not feed the sheep. Hello, Pharisees with the blind man. The weak you have not strengthened, the paralytic, the sick you have not healed, the crippled you have not bound up, the strayed you have not brought back, the lost you have not sought, with force and harshness you have ruled over them. Do you see why Jesus is going down around doing what he's doing? Because they were failing to do what they were supposed to do. And now they're going to be convicted for it. Verse five. So they were scattered because there was no shepherd and they became food for all the wild beasts. My sheep were scattered. They were, they wandered over all the mountains and on every hill. My sheep were scattered over all the face of the earth, the Babylonian exile with none to search or seek for them. Okay. Now you start to understand the Babylonian exile. And then what happens in the, the in acts of the apostles is the apostles go out to all the nations. 
to regather God's people together. Therefore, you shepherds, hear the word of the Lord. As I live, says the Lord God, because my sheep have become a prey and my sheep have become food for the wild beasts since there was no shepherd. Because my shepherds have not searched for my sheep, but the shepherds have fed themselves, have not fed my sheep. Therefore, you shepherds, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God, behold, I am against the shepherds, and I will require my sheep at their hand and put a stop to their feeding. The sheep no longer shall the shepherds feed themselves. I will rescue my sheep from their mouths. You see that? They're eating the sheep. Yeah. That they may not be food for them. For thus says the Lord God, behold, I, I myself will search for my sheep and will seek them. As a shepherd seeks out his flock, when a, some of his sheep have been scattered abroad, so will I seek out my sheep. I will rescue them from all places where they have been scattered on the day of clouds and thick darkness. I will bring them out from the peoples and gather them from the countries, and I will bring them into their own land, and I will feed them on the mountains of Israel, by the, mountain, by the fountains, and in all the inhabited places of the country. I will feed them with good pasture, and upon the mountain heights of Israel shall be their pasture. There they shall lie down in good grazing land, and on fat pasture they shall feed on the mountains of Israel. I myself will be the shepherd of my sheep. What did they just say in, in, in John chapter 5? They sought to kill him because he made himself equal to God. Yes, I myself will be the shepherd of my sheep. I will make them lie down, says the Lord God. I will seek the lost and I will bring back the strayed. I will bind, listen to this, I will bind the crippled, I will strengthen the weak and the fat and the strong I will watch over. I will feed them in justice as for my flock, thus says the Lord God. Behold, I judge between sheep and sheep, ram and he goats. Is it not enough for you to feed on the good pasture that you must tread down with your feet the rest of your pasture and drink of clear water that you must foul the rest with your feet? And must my sheep eat what you have trodden with your feet and drink what you have fouled with your feet? Therefore, thus says the Lord God to them, behold, I, I myself will judge between the fat sheep and the lean sheep because you push with his side and shoulder and thrust at the weak with your horns till you have scattered them abroad. I will save my flock. They shall no longer be a prey and I will judge between sheep and sheep. And I will set over them one shepherd. Now, listen to this. Ezekiel just said that God's going to be their shepherd. And now he's going to say he's, he's going to set over them one shepherd, my servant David. Hmm. And he shall feed them and he shall feed them and be their shepherd. And I, the Lord, will be their God, and my servant David shall be prince among them, and I, the Lord, have spoken. So now, this is amazing, so beautiful about what Jesus says in John chapter 10, is that according to Ezekiel, the shepherd of God's people is going to be both God and man. Yeah. Wow. And Jesus appears really to chills. them. Yeah, it's beautiful. Wow. It's beautiful. So now we turn back now we can turn back to John chapter 10 and there's not, we don't have to say much here, my brothers and sisters, except that Jesus has just put the dagger in their hearts, but he's also written his own death sentence. They have to kill him. 
because if they don't kill him, then they risk losing their position, which they have fed on the sheep to gain, right? It's either them or him. It can't be both. And with that in mind, we shall sing, like a shepherd, he feeds his flock and gathers the lambs in his arms. Yeah. I wonder how same, many... <laughs> Oh, I, that's exactly what's going to happen. You know, it's so too many parishes. <laughs> Good Shepherd Sunday. Okay, so listen. So all of Sunday. you can just roll your eyes. We're giving you permission. <laughs> I might, I might just let my hair down for a minute before we finish with this passage and um, talk to us about the wolves in sheep's clothing. Yeah. Okay. Well, Good. I wanted to ask about the the significance that this whole i mean i know we look at it within the context of of jesus actually there saying it but but how this can apply then to the shepherds that we have in the church today and and really we the sheep as well in the flock well it's not us that applies it is saint clement of alexandria so before i say anything about that annie and i risk you know, getting fired at the Institute of Catholic <laughs> Culture or excommunicated by, by the local bishop. No, St. Clement of Alexandria, Saint, Saint Clement of Alexandria says this, these are rapacious wolves hidden in sheepskin, human traf traffickers, opportunistic soul seducers secretly, but later proved to be robbers they strive to by fraud and force to catch us who are unsophisticated and have less power in speech. Now, I'm going to move to Theodore of Mopsuestia, who says, The shepherd of the sheep is the one who is worthily endowed with the gift of teaching. He is the one who uses the lawful entrance, that is, who lives with all his heart according to the doctrine of the law, and so enters into the sheepfold as his only right. Then he leads all the others like sheep to the pasture of doctrine by showing them the food of the word with which they must nourish themselves first and continually afterwards. He also leads them by showing them the power of the word, how scripture must be understood and from which doctrine they must abstain. Doctrine that, uh, that others may deceitfully propose to them for the slaughter of the sheep. The thief and bandit is the exact opposite. He uses you, he, he neither uses the lawful entrance, nor does he show respect for the precepts of the law. This is how he teaches the people given to him. To, in vain, he tries to take hold of the entrance and of the dignity of the teacher, even though he does nothing that is required for such an honor. He is inconsiderate and does everything without regard to how it may harm the sheep. Indeed, how can he be useful to others when he does not exercise himself the precepts of the law? Okay, now, obviously the fathers of the church are talking about the shepherds of the church, pastors, bishops, um, those that are placed within the, sh the church, the community of God. I mean, look, it's God who appointed shepherds to live in his image and after his likeness. So there's nothing fundamentally wrong with the idea of a human shepherd. We just saw this in Ezekiel, right? It's part of God's plan. He shares his life with us. If God is the shepherd, we should expect men to be raised up as shepherds in his image and after his likeness. Am I right? Okay. Absolutely. But what is Theodore Mopsuestia says? He says the shepherd allows them to feed. And what are they feeding on? They're feeding on, on truth. Because it's truth that sets us free. 
It's truth that allows us, you know, what is freedom? Freedom is not license, do what I want. Freedom is the, is the ability to do what is right. And I can only do what is right if I know my proper end and can govern my actions toward that proper end. Does that make sense? Yeah. So absolutely. this is why, why doctrine is not doctrine. Okay, I got doctrine books. Do, I mean, I got a lot of doctrine books around, right? But so get out of your mind, you know, all of these lists of doctors. Yes, 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 it's true. But, but let's get a little bit more shepherdy with it, okay? These teachings are given to us so as to, they are the direction, do this and you'll, you'll find life. That's what the doctrines of the church are. So let me speak for a moment about those within the church that have been appointed as shepherd, but have shown themselves to be wolves. They are the ones who are saying to you, it's okay to live in a way that does not direct toward your proper end, in ways contrary to the gospel. Okay, And I'm going to say it because we're at the Institute of Catholic Culture, and I'm just going to say it. Those bishops in Germany and in certain cities such as San Diego and Southern California who are proposing doctrines contrary to the teachings of the church are wolves dressed in sheep's clothing because they are trying to get the sheep to feed on poison so that they will die rather than live. And what is that poison? It is modern, secular immorality. Homosexuals, abortion, contraception, divorce. It's all okay. Let's go ahead and paint the gray road right down the middle of your life. I'm sorry, but someone in one of the books I read somewhere, it's a, a wide road to perdition. Many follow it. It is a narrow road which leads to life. And there are few that find it. So just call them out for what they are. They are the enemies of God. They are the Antichrist, those working against the gospel. And they show themselves to be such by the very things they're trying to feed to God's people. Those things which are contrary to the teachings of the church, the teachings of the apostle, the teachings of the scriptures. They set themselves against the word of God. Mm -hmm. So do not follow them. Period. Test them by the perennial teachings of the church. Yes? And I'll say so. Maybe as you're making a little light about liturgy, about songs we'll hear in the church, to, you know, this Sunday and things like that. There's a great attack upon the traditional liturgy of, in, 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 of, of the Latin church. And that attack is contrary to the teachings of the church. Pope Benedict said very clearly, what a former generation's held as sacred cannot suddenly become sacred or even harmful. Yeah. It can't. It, by fundamental philosophical principle, it cannot. Therefore, those that would believe that it is in any way harmful to the soul are working against the gospel of Jesus Christ. May God have mercy on them. And in the words of the gospel... May they quickly be removed because they have proven themselves to be wolves. I just maybe can finish this off with number one, we need to pray for, for the, them. Yeah. I mean, Jesus yeah. came to save everyone. He came to save them. It's just that they rejected his. So we need to pray for them. We pray for the president of the United States. We pray for all of these people who are doing this. All of us are sinners. Yeah. But hopefully not all of us are eating the sheep. 
and feeding them poison. Yeah. That's the thing. And, well, we uh, need and to then, point it out for their benefit so that they can, because we don't want to be like exactly. the Pharisees, right? Who are, are like not rejoicing over someone's good. So that's right. That's right. So on the, and on the flip side of all of this, we have, we do have good bishops. There are good bishops out there. Thank God um, that we can be thankful for. And we have the greatest bishop of all, the greatest shepherd of all Jesus. Yeah. Now, who is the good shepherd who does give us the truth? by which we direct our lives to our proper end and find happiness, right? So we thank Jesus for the greatest gift of all. During this Paschal season, I think really focusing upon that aspect of this is fundamentally important. Yes, there are wolves. And, 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 and okay, let me finish with this. We knew there would be wolves from the beginning. We knew there was going to be weeds among the wheat, thorns among, you know, we knew that. So let's not be surprised. Okay. So for our new, newly illumined, uh, uh, newly, um, that's, sorry, that's a, uh, Eastern term. I was going to say the neophytes. The, the neophytes have, for our neophytes <laughs> might be starting to say to yourself, well, you know what, this whole thing on join, it doesn't, I'm starting to see the seedy underbelly. You know, it's kind of like, well, you know what, imagine, imagine if Pope Francis got on the news and, and they said, you know, are you a Christian? And he said, no. Are you, uh, well, wait a minute, that cross you got hanging around your neck. I, I think it, that's the sign of the Christian. No, I'm not a Christian. Never. I never, I, I've never been a Christian. I never want to be a Christian. I don't know who Jesus is. I, I don't want to follow him. Well, I mean, gee whiz, you know, you're running around. We've seen you in so many videos and it looks like you're a Christian. No, I'm not a Christian. What would you do? I mean, the, the news would blow up, but this is what Peter did. Yes. So there's nothing new under the sun. Do not be scandalized when you see that there are wolves among the sheep or there are wolves dressed in the sheep's clothing. Don't be surprised. It's been that way from the beginning. Calm down. We put our trust in the Lord. The Holy Spirit is going to guide us into all truth. Okay. Now we need to look at the, at the Psalm, which is as you might expect. Yes. Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd. There is nothing I shall want. Beautiful. I didn't share with this St. Augustine. St. Augustine, you want the end St. Augustine? We can't leave without St. Augustine. Sure. Okay. Above, he said that the good shepherd entered through the door. If he is the door, how does he enter through it himself? Just as he knows the Father through himself, and we know the Father through him, so he enters into the fold through himself, and he entered, and we enter through him. His Jesus is both the, the, the good shepherd, he's everything, right? He's the whole ball of wax, right? Yeah. Why? Because he's taken our human nature onto himself. This is why Jesus is the great intercessor between man and God. He is the necessary bridge because, and he, it, it, we call him the, the, the new covenant because in covenant, two parties are joined together. In Christ, the human nature and divine nature joined together, never to be broken apart. We, that communion is now certain for sure. So it's, it's that he is the bridge between our fallen hum, human state and the things of God, which is why our baptism is so fundamentally important as we're baptized into him. Now we come to communion with eternal life. Okay. So, okay, fine. Let's look at Psalm, Psalm 23. Yeah. He guides me in the right paths for his name's sake. Even though I walk in the dark valley, I fear no evil. We've talked about this. We've talked about this. this. Yeah. This is David, right? Yeah, David, the boy, we've looked at this so many times. For those that are new to the ICC, you got to go back to the calling of David. We're not going to do it right here, but you're going to go back to 1 Samuel chapter 16. The calling of David, the boy, right? Who's a, he's a, he's a, I'm dropping my stuff on the ground. 
he's a, he's a shepherd, right? A shepherd boy. And he's out with, with the, his father's flock. And his brother's a bunch of lazy bums are playing Nintendo in the living room. And he's out there by himself. And this is why he's called. And just, I've said it before. Think about, think, you don't think about your grandmother's funeral. That's not what should be coming to mind when you read this Psalm. Think about David out there in the field and he's tr- places trust in the Lord, right? He, he's got, and you want to talk about wolves? There's wolves, real wolves, you know? And they're, and he's got the sheep and they're hungry for him. He's got to protect them. He tr- places trust in the Lord. It's the only one because brothers are worthless. Dad's back at home. Yeah. So that's what we should really be thinking about here. And then asking ourselves, asking ourselves, are we willing to trust our shepherd, place ourselves in his hand? And then as we're going to look, look at to willing to live in his image after his likeness to become a shepherd for others. Yeah. All right. Shall we go look at uh, Acts of the Apostles? Let's take a look. All right. This is Acts of the Apostles, chapter two. And uh, once again, we're starting with verse 14 and then skipping down to verse 36, if you're reading along. Didn't we start with with verse 14 last week, Annie? Yeah, I'm pretty sure we did. It's kind of the setup verse because I, I've noticed that that these readings are are trying to avoid the word Pentecost or, you know, basically the descent of the Holy Spirit leading up to the great feast of Pentecost, but we're mm-hmm. kind of getting the yep. aftermath of it as we read about the early church in the Easter season. So it's kind yep. of like a, we got to kind of parse things out and um, yeah, and because stretch them out before Pentecost. This is always the church always starts over in Acts of the Apostles on with uh, with Bosco with Easter. So so that's yeah. why that's that's going on is the the biblical cycle and the liturgical cycle are not matching up exactly. Yeah, we don't have like four Acts of the Apostles, like we have four Gospels where we can read different versions of the same story, you know, in various, various years. All right, so Acts chapter 2, 14, and then going down to 36. Yep. Then Peter stood up with the eleven, raised his voice, and proclaimed, Let the whole house of Israel know for certain that God has made both Lord and Christ, this Jesus, whom you crucified. Now, when they had heard this, they were cut to the heart, and they asked Peter and the other apostles, What are we to do, my brothers? Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is made to you and to your children and to all those far off, whomever the Lord our God will call. He testified with many other arguments and was exhorting them, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Mm -hmm. Those who accepted his message were baptized and about 3,000 persons were added that day. What a contrast. (laughs) What a contrast and what what an example of a true shepherd. Yeah. yeah. So there you can also talk about the conversion of heart, right? Peter has gone through what I just described, you know, on CNN with the Pope. What if that were to happen? Well, it happened and he went through a conversion of heart. So there's, there's, this is why we always have to pray and fast for those who are shepherding the church yeah. and look at with what conviction he stands up. I mean, wouldn't you, you kind of want to hear a bishop say that? Oh yeah. What do we, what should we do? Well, start a program for the new evangelization and a, another program. 
Repent of your sins so that the Holy Spirit can start working through you. Absolutely. Well, I mean, it all makes sense when you think about what is it at the end of the Gospel of John when when Jesus tells Peter, you know, feed my sheep. Yeah. Feed my flock. Feed my sheep. He goes through a threefold conversion in that moment and look at the results of it. Yeah, it's incredible. So um, let's get our bearings one more time. Uh, Like we were saying, we heard part of this speech, this sermon um, last week, but just to kind of refresh our memories, um, tell us what we what we skip over this week, which we read. Sure. Last week. Well, I mean, you can read it and you should read just chapter two, right? You've got pe- the, the, the day of Pentecost comes down, the gift of, of languages, right? To speak to all those that they would preach to. And then Peter's great speech of which this is the concluding part, right? That the, he testifies, and you can go read that. We did it last week. We don't have to look at it again, but he goes back and gives them a Bible study. That's what he does. That's what his preaching was. Look at the Old Testament. This is, is this not what we just did? We went back to Ezekiel 34, and lo and behold, Jesus doesn't say anything about Ezekiel 34, but he knows that they know the scriptures, and so he talks to them in biblical terms. And of course, he knows what he's doing. He knows how he, they know what he's saying right? That's what Jesus does in John chapter 10. That's what we ought to do. He, he does it by way of recalling for their memory, but we don't have a good memory. So we have to go back there. Is it, remember, they remembered, right? And so this is what G, this is what Peter does, right? He goes back to Joel, which we did last week. He goes back and says, look, look at, look at what David said of himself, but he died. Therefore, right, he's giving them the Old Testament Bible study so that they could understand the revelation of Christ. This is what's going on. And he says, and you killed him. They say, what are we supposed to do now? We've been waiting for 500 years, 600 years. Can you imagine what that revelation would be like? like? If you actually believe what Peter just said to you. You killed the Messiah that you've been waiting for for 500 years. And you killed him. Mm. Wow. Yeah, but then what does he do immediately? He doesn't leave him there, right? Okay. I think this is good for us. It's a very good for us to remember that while we love the cross, the cross is a door. Yeah. It's a door to the fullness of the gospel of Jesus Christ, which is the resurrection of Christ. And this is what we ought to be preaching every Sunday in our parishes. This is what we should be talking about with our, with with those around us, because the fundamental problem of man is death. And the Christians are the only ones that have the answer. So whether you're talking to a secularist, whether you're talking to whoever you're talking to, it's the fundamental problem across the board for all of mankind. And this is why the gospel of Jesus Christ is so powerful. And he has an answer. Not only is Jesus risen from the dead, but you, you, you have a way. There's a way, right? There's a way to salvation. Yeah. What does it mean to be cut to the heart? Well, I mean, oh, what does it mean? You know what it means to be cut to the heart. I think we know what it means to be cut to the heart. But there's, there's certainly, we could go back to the Old Testament to talk about, because in, in light of my brother's recent talk on Jesus, uh, his talk bound by the law. Yeah. Right? I think this is a, maybe an important passage in Deuteronomy that we want to just take a look at. Deuteronomy chapter 30. Deuteronomy chapter 30, which is a, a really a beautiful passage, which... <laughs> 
Well, in light of my earlier comments, I might just have to make a comment about here. Uh, look at verse six. Look at verse six. Well, let's no. Let's start start with chapter thirty, verse one, because here's the thing. This is the uh, the heart and center of the law, which we uh, I was talking about the doctrines of the church. We had books of the doctrines of the church, and it has such a in our experience maybe such a dry understanding of like you have to do this, you do this. No, listen to this. This is the heart of what we would consider. Oh, the Levitical law. Oh, so you know you gotta sacrifice this way and don't do this and do okay. Listen to this. And when all these things come upon you, the blessings and the curse, which I have set before you, and you call them to mind among all the nations where the Lord God has driven you and return to the Lord your God, you and your children obey his voice. And in all that I have commanded you this day with all your heart and with all your soul, then the Lord God will restore your fortunes and have compassion on you. And you will be gathered, will gather you again from all the peoples where the Lord your God has scattered you. Pentecost day, hello? But look at this, verse six. And the Lord your God will circumcise your heart hmm. and the heart of your offspring so that you will love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul that you might live. You want to know what being cut to the heart is? Is right there, right? Being cut to the heart. Now, is does please understand this is not a matter of feelings feelings may be there they may not be there as one uh one of my mentors used to say feelings are false friends yeah one day they're friends to you one day they're not right one day you have the gift of tears one then most of the time you don't right yeah so feelings are false friends and and especially for our newly baptized members of our communities maybe it came in with fire Maybe you got started with excitement. Maybe during the catechumen, you have moments of, of grace, which brought you to a deep desire for the Lord. And maybe now here we are. And so, maybe some of our members experience a certain dryness. So remember the stories of Mother Teresa. You know, where are you now? She's in, she's in Eucharist adoration. Where are you now, Lord? You know, yeah. feeling the sense of distance. It happens. It happens. Feelings are false friends. So we're not talking being cut to the heart. Matter of feelings. It's, it's right here. And the Lord your God will circumcise your heart and your heart and the heart of your offspring so that you may love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, so that you might live. And of course, St. Paul tells us that circumcision of the heart is our baptism. And this is what I'm saying. It's not a matter of feelings. The feelings could be there, maybe not be there. We're given the recipe. Repent and be baptized. St. Paul tells us that the baptism is the new circumcision. Right? It is a way by which we might come to walk with the Lord. Yeah. And so apart from the feelings is a matter of number one repentance, is a recognition of who I am. And I always tell people this, when you go to confession, confession isn't about a, ma a matter of listing your sins. That's part of it. But it's first and foremost about confessing who God is. This is why in the old, in the old confessionals and stuff, they always have a crucifix there. Or in the Byzantine liturgy, in the Orthodox tradition, there's always the icon of Christ or the gospel book there. We confess to Christ. And first we confess him to be our creator and our God. And it's only then that I'm going to know who I'm made to be in his image after his likeness. It's only by his measurement that I can measure how far I am away from my high calling as a child of God. Mm -hmm. So repent is a matter of recognizing that reality. 
and saying, I know I'm made for more. And we know this, don't we? We fall into sin. We know, we know I'm, I know I'm not made for this. I know I'm made for more than this. And that's part of it, but it's not enough. That's one, that's the human side of it. And the divine side of it, after us recognizing who we are by the grace of God, is a matter of the pouring in of the gift of his life as filling us up. Confession is not a matter of getting rid of, it's a matter of growing toward, you know? And so, so this is important that, that we realize that this cutting to the heart is a matter of recognition and a matter of action to be baptized into Christ. For no one will enter the kingdom of God who has not been born of water and the spirit. Our Protestant brothers and sisters that are participating in this Bible study, baptism is essential. Yeah, and if you want to go a little further with this conversation, you can go listen to my study. There is no salvation outside the church. Those aren't my words. Okay, uh, you can go do that study. Understand the church's understanding of herself, her own identity, and why it is that salvation is found within the church. Of course, the church is the body of Christ. And there is no one comes to the Father apart from me, Jesus says. Okay, so there you have it. Ian. Well, I think about when you talk about that, the baptism and and being cut to the heart makes me think about you know the the is it it's Ezekiel right the passage where it's like I'll take your stony hearts and make them hearts of flesh. Yeah, we could look at a, a, at two passages. The first, of, I mean, these are my go to passages, which yeah. is Jeremiah thirty one thirty one. Right, right. Jeremiah 31, 31, verse, about halfway through verse 33. I will put my law within them. I will write it upon their hearts. I will be their God and they shall be my people. And then as you're, as you're mentioning, Ezekiel 36, I do believe Ezekiel 36 right here, verse 24. For I will take you from the nations and gather you from the countries and bring you into your own land. I will sprinkle clean water upon you and you shall be clean from all your uncleanness and from all your idols. I will cleanse you a new heart. I will give you and a new spirit. I will put within you. I will take out of your flesh, the heart of stone and give you the heart of flesh there. I mean, this is all uh, 10 commandments written on stone versus the law of, of, of Christ, which is not against the 10 commandments, but the internalization of these realities so that I desire, I want to live according to the law of God. Yes, I might fall short, but I've been revealed to me how to get there. That's what Jesus has done for me and given me that gift of a new heart. This is why we can no longer live on the, in terms of obligation. Yeah, we, for those that are newly baptized, yes, we have to go to church every Sunday if we want to live, mm -hmm. to have communion with the one who's alive, we communion with the resurrection. Yes, but I do so because I want to. That's the gift of being a Christian. I want to do it because it's part of who I am. It's part of my new nature. This is how I live. I, I can't live like my old life anymore. You know, so, so this is what we need to work on as Christians, especially in this time of, of, of Pascha, this time of Easter, is this new heart that's given to us. Let it be your heart. To make it the greatest desire of your week is, 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 to, is to be there for Sunday Mass. Of course, I am, I'm, I'm, I'm speaking to the, to the sheep, really, because you guys are participating in this Bible. So you want to be there. You want to get the most out of, of, of church on Sunday. So God bless you. Okay. Absolutely. Well, why don't we move on to the the epistle from Peter? Because I mean, it's just Peter saying the same thing in a different way. Yep. 
Um, 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 20 through 25. Beloved, if you are patient when you suffer for doing what is good, this is a grace before God. For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his footsteps. He committed no sin, and no deceit was found in his mouth. When he was insulted, he returned no insult. When he suffered, he did not threaten. Instead, he handed himself over to the one who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body upon the cross, so that, free from sin, we might live for righteousness. Mm. By his wounds, you have been healed. For you have gone astray like sheep, but you have now returned to the shepherd and guardian of your souls. How beautiful that is, a calling for all of us to be incorporated into his life. And this is how Jesus lived, therefore this is how you live. Because you have been made a Christian, you've been baptized into him, St. Paul says. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. Listen to St. Saint, uh, Saint the Venerable, and we can conclude. Here Peter alludes to the parable of the Gospels, where the good shepherd leaves the 99 sheep for the, in the desert and goes after the one who has gone astray. For as it is said there, when he finds it, he puts it on his shoulder and rejoices. Jesus wanted to redeem us so much that he put our sins on his shoulders and bore them for us on the tree in order to give us eternal life, as well as blessings in this world. He comes to us daily to visit the light uh, which he has given us in order to tend it and help it grow. This is why he is called not only the shepherd, but also the guardian of our souls. And I just double down and say, this is exactly how we're to live as Christians then. Look at, turn your Bibles to Colossians chapter 1 verse 24. Colossians chapter 1, verse 24. This is St. Paul speaking to the community, and he says, chapter 1, Colossians chapter 1, verse 24. You got it there, Annie? Yep, I'm here. Now, I rejoice, he says, in my sufferings. Think think about what we're learning from St. Peter here. I rejoice in my sufferings from you, for your sake, and in, in my flesh I complete what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body that is the church. So, so notice how St. Paul understands himself very much in these terms also now in regards now Jesus has done this for him. He has been baptized into Christ. And so therefore he does this for others. This is how we're to live as Christians now in this beautiful community, which God has given us to serve one another, to sacrifice for one another, to carry one another as the paralytic, friends of the paralytic carried their friend to the, to the feet of Jesus. This is what we're made for. You can't treat your church like a vending machine anymore. As, as, as Pope Francis beautifully said, the church is a hospital. And you've been put in the hospital both because you're sick, but also as a physician in the image and likeness of the divine physician, that as you are healed, you might bring healing to others. To Christ our God be glory both now and ever and unto ages of ages. Amen. Thank you for joining us for the Institute of Catholic Culture's Sunday Gospel Reflections podcast. The Institute of Catholic Culture is an adult catechetical organization dedicated to the re-evangelization of our society through educational and cultural programs offered to the public at no charge. I invite you to explore all we have to offer, including over 900 hours of on-demand catechetical opportunities, and sign up for our upcoming events by visiting instituteofcatholicculture.org.